0: So when I was in preschool, I was absolutely sure of what I was supposed to do with my life. I was absolutely sure that God had called me to be um, a fireman. Anybody else pretty sure they were supposed to be a fireman at one point in their lives at least? Yes. Many of us probably were like, yes, fireman. First option for me. So my mom threw me a fireman-themed party uh, with my friends in preschool. Um, I I remember it well at First Christian Christian Church of Johnson City uh, at preschool there. Uh, Well, then when I got to middle school, I was pretty sure um, that God had called me to be a professional soccer player. (laughs) So I went to sleep with my soccer ball. I broke more than a few windows. Uh, I spent countless hours on the field by myself uh, at Brent Field in Finneytown in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, Then when I got to high school, I was kind of sure um, that, that hopefully, maybe, God had called me to be a soccer coach and a youth minister. Um, so, so I played soccer uh, in college after that and got a degree in biblical and theological studies. And then, then when I got to college and got to know myself a little more and my giftedness, I was at least mildly aware <laughs> that God had called me to some sort of pastoral ministry. Uh, so I figured I went to seminary and... Uh, begin to get some graduate training for pastoral ministry. And uh, then when I got to seminary, I began to be vaguely hopeful that God had called me to be an academic. Um, So I took a bunch of extra classes and electives and a bunch of obscure things um, that I thought would help me as I tried two times um, to begin to apply for PhD programs. And uh, so here I am today, uh, still paying for those electives. Uh, wishing I'd been a little more focused 20 to 25 years ago. Can I get an amen on that? Then after about three to four years into being a youth minister, I was finally 100% sure that God hadn't called me to be um, a fireman. He hadn't called me to be a professional soccer player, a youth minister, an academic, or a soccer coach, um, but a pastor and a preacher. Uh, so here I am and I am 46 years old, and the honest truth about the development of all this in my life is that I went from absolutely sure to uh, not so sure to finally sure, and uh, at 46 years old, the honest truth is that I've only had a pretty good hold on what God wants me to do for a little more than 12 years. As I think back um, on how I came um, to really finally understand my sweet spot in life, and all the people who were a part of that and all my experiences. There were certainly plenty of folks who were models for me. There were a lot of folks who were models for me and who spoke into my life. But as I look back, I, I realize that there are truly only four people who really challenged and championed God's calling on my life in a way that brought me to where I am today. And, uh, and two of those four are my parents. <laughs> So as I look back, what I've realized is that the sad and frustrating truth is that, is that being able to see myself accurately enough to do what God's called and equipped me to do, and by the way, I'm choosing those words very carefully very intentionally, being able to see myself accurately enough to do what God had called and equipped me to do was, as I look back, it was a pretty lonely and and really a not communal enough process for me. Very few gave wise kingdom direction in ways that fit with who I was and what they were seeing in me very few around me would look at my life quite honestly and openly and and see who I am and speak God's wisdom and call in direction into me. Looking back, it felt like very few gave me meaningful support that would have given me better direction faster. And I think that it wasn't because God wasn't trying to show me. He wasn't trying to direct me. He wasn't trying to tell me, this is who you are, Scott. This is what you should be doing. These are the gifts uh, that you should be using. It was mostly because, looking back, frankly, I did not have a group of people who I called my people until, frankly, now. It's only a really relatively recent direction in my life a place to be, where I had people in my life with whom I was open, and they were open with me, and they were uh, wise and godly, and word-informed enough to be honest with me. I know as I say that to you, (laughs) I would venture to say that many of you have experienced the same kind of ongoing frustration. And the experience of not having enough in the way of deep and meaningful connection, even in the body of Christ, that means that that you could know who you were and what you were equipped to do and what God's called you to be. Not enough of that happens in our lives. I suspect that there's a sense in which we all don't see ourselves accurately enough to do what God has called and equipped us to do because we don't have enough people who give us godly and wise counsel, who are open and honest, with whom we are open and honest, so that they can speak into our lives to tell us frankly who we are and what God's equipped us to do. And many of you probably have felt like Uh, Few gave you that wise kingdom direction. You felt like few looked into your life openly and honestly in order to speak to God's truth and direction to you. Perhaps you have felt sort of like you had little meaningful support in becoming who God called and created and equipped you to do. Listen, friends, we need to have, we desperately need to have godly people in our lives that speak to us openly and honestly, and we need to learn to listen to them. Not just as kids and young adults and people trying to figure out a career, but for all of us, even as adults. Otherwise, we will languish in a lack of purpose and direction, wondering how we're gifted without a personal vision for how God wants to use us. And and we will ultimately miss out on the joy of being used for the advance of God's kingdom in the world as meaningfully as we could we actually very desperately need to find our people as defined by Jesus in Mark 3.35, those who do the will of God. And we need to give them permission to speak into our lives and we need to listen to them. Now, this, <laughs> this means that we have all probably experienced some deep isolation and feelings of lostness. And not being used as capably in the kingdom of God and in the world as we could have. This is a a potential uh, for deep isolation and feelings of lostness and even despair. That's the kind of thing we can experience when when godly counsel isn't the norm for us and we feel on our own. The potential for exactly that kind of uh, of depth of lostness and despair and, and, and no direction was a very serious danger for Mary when she was pregnant with Jesus. But what we're going to see today in Luke 1 is a really great example, a really cool example of a family that was focused on the will of God. And what we see here in Luke 1 is a very beautiful picture of a family that was focused on God's purposes in the world. And that is what made all the difference for Mary to not experience the lostness and despair and lack of direction and purpose. So before we jump into Luke 1, let me me bring you up to speed real quick. The angel Gabriel has just told Zechariah and Elizabeth, who was an old priest and his wife. She's barren. They've been childless their whole lives. Gabriel has just told them, Zechariah and Elizabeth, that they were going to have a son named John. And he was going to be a pretty important kid uh, or adult. He was going to be uh, really important because God had sent him to prepare his people, to prepare the Jews, by preaching uh, about the coming of Jesus and baptizing them uh, and incidentally living out in the middle of nowhere wearing weird uh, looking clothes and eating bugs. So that was apparently part of the preparation process as a prophet. So right right after Gabriel, the angel, shows up to tell Elizabeth and Zechariah this, right after that, when Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy, the angel Gabriel also appears to Mary Mary's a virgin, she's not yet married, and and the angel Gabriel shows up to tell her that she was going to have a son who was going to be um, much more important (laughs) than John the Baptist, Uh, ever so muchly, much more, much, muchly, Um, more important than John the Baptist because this would be uh, the anointed one, the Messiah who would save his people from their sins and whose kingdom would last forever, the angel said. So imagine that. Mary is about to bear the Messiah. John the Baptist is already in Elizabeth's womb So Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary have just been told by an angel that their babies are going to be big time. And so they are understandably uh, more than a little shaken, probably quite confused, uh, because not only had they just seen an angel, but now they are all wondering how exactly all of this having kids anointed by God thing is going to work out. But what we see here in this text is that the community of God, a family focused on God's will, was the way that God communicated to them, I've got this, it's going to be okay, here's how this is going to work. Look at Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 35. God, in effect, says, I've got this, and I'm going to use the family to confirm my direction for you. Look at Luke 1, starting at verse 35. Just listen to what Gabriel says to Mary right after she asks him how this is all going to work. Verse 35. The angel answered her right after she says, "'How will this be since I'm a virgin?' The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, this is going to be how it works physically. In in other words, God's going to supernaturally make sure you're pregnant with Jesus. That's all we'll say. Um, Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And then this is important. Look at this. The angel gives her a sign of confirmation. Verse 36 And starts with these words, and behold, behold is a word the angel had just used earlier as a way to direct somebody to God's uh, work in the world, to to draw attention to his work. So check this out, he says, behold, verse 36, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Which would have been news To Mary since Elizabeth was sequestered. So Gabriel telling this to Mary is like the angel Gabriel saying, listen, God is going to do this amazing thing with your relative Elizabeth, just like God is doing with you. These are signs of God doing something big. So God's got this. It's going to be fine. Go and confirm yourself with what she's Experiencing, Look at this, verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, humbly accepting what Gabriel said, Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, I'm ready, let's do this, bring it on. So, and this is important to catch before we move on to the text. Mary takes the angel's uh, announcement of her relative Elizabeth's birth, birth as a sign of God's work and as a prompt for her to go and confirm it for herself. That's a little bit complicated. Let me say it again, but it's really important. Mary takes the angel's announcement of Elizabeth, her relative's birth, as a sign of God's work and as a prompt to go and confirm for herself that God is working in Elizabeth and in her. And so we see in this fascinating scene, we see this idea of God, through his spirit, directing his people to confirm a call on their lives. Keep reading, verse 39. Luke reports, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste, because obviously it was, uh, God was up to something big, and so she immediately takes off on the heel's of the angel announcing uh, Elizabeth's birth. And it says, she immediately took off with haste. That's a word that means with zeal, with diligence. So she went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, which on foot was about two to three days away uh, for her. So in other words, Mary is real serious here about getting as much confirmation and help and direction as possible. So think about it. It's a safe assumption to say that Mary is certainly quite isolated. She's feeling alone in this whole bear the Messiah of the world thing because really there's no precedent for it. From what we know Mary's own mother was not a part of the picture and not only that, Joseph is suddenly conspicuously absent for quite a while and she is pregnant by the Holy Spirit and there's not a strong cultural precedent for this whole virgin birth thing, right? So put together in her day this whole thing looks super sketchy from the outside which means that she is at three months pregnant and according to Luke basically alone to figure out this entire process so she goes to Elizabeth's house as the angel suggests verse 40 and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth greeted is used three times here by Luke he makes a big deal of it She greets Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. So when Mary enters and greets Elizabeth, inside Elizabeth, John the Baptist, the baby John, jumps for joy, which Elizabeth obviously understood as a sign from God, and Luke wants us to understand it in the same way, because he says this, keep reading, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit spirit which quick pause to firm up the ultimate point of where we're headed today when elizabeth is filled with the holy spirit here to say what she says next it is none other than god the father orchestrating his will through a family who is focused on it through a family through a group of people who can see god's will who is aware of it who who is led by the Spirit to confirm his will when they see it happen and when they watch the kingdom advance. Let me say that again because it's kind of complicated, but it's pretty important. When Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit to say what she says next here, it is nothing short of God orchestrating stuff (laughs) that a father's will-focused family can see, be aware of, and confirm But that a self and world focused family will not. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And verse 42, she exclaimed with a loud cry Blessed are you among women, speaking to Mary here, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is Mary because she believed the promise of God to her. I can tell, she says, (laughs) right? So think about what's going on here processing for for Mary, processing this whole situation, this whole bearing the Messiah thing, Uh, processing that through with someone who likewise um, was pregnant because of God's uh, miraculous hand, processing this whole bearing the Messiah with old and barren Elizabeth, miracle with miracle. It's not just helpful for her. (laughs) It is that, but it is absolutely a confirmation of God's plans with Elizabeth functioning here as the revealer, a further revealer of God's plans for Mary. This is God orchestrating stuff uh, that that this family, this father's will family was looking for, they were seeing, they were aware of, and in their interaction with one another, they were confirming they were confirming it as if they would respond faithfully, as Father's will people, as if God had called them to his purposes. You see, Elizabeth had God's will at front and center of her heart and mind. How many deep, meaningful, open, vulnerable relationships do you have with people who have God's will at front and center of heart and mind. Because these are the people we need. These are the people we need around us to see God's image in us, to understand the ways in which God has designed us to work in his kingdom and to advance it. These are people with maturity, who understand God's will, who are learned in the word, who have seen God's work in other people. They're well enough aware of that to see in us, because they have God's will, front and center and heart of mind, to see in us what God has for us that we absolutely cannot see for ourselves. Do you have Elizabeths in your life who have permission to speak into you wisdom from God about his plans for you? If you do not, you will miss out on some of God's best for you. You will not see yourself accurately. I think you will become for yourself an echo chamber where you hear nothing but your own direction and voice. You see, if we're not getting confirmation from godly people around us, the voice of reason and direction in our lives will sound incredibly like our own voice. Are we preaching it? and on the contrary when a family or or any group of people for that matter when they when they are primarily focused on helping one another become who god created them to be then they can be used to speak into your life what god's best for you would be that you can't see yourself When that doesn't happen in a family, or any group of people, and they're primarily focused on helping one another maintain sort of earthly security and safety, uh, or maybe a family that's focused primarily on raising kids to become financially secure and to avoid pain. (laughs) Kingdom Advance takes a back seat. Functionally, that family or that group of people has decided that, that our will for our satisfaction in this world using earthly means of safety and security is more important than God's will for his kingdom advance and ultimately for us experiencing him. We go through life acting like our purposes are better than God's purposes. And when that happens, over time you will slowly isolate yourself into the kind of self-deception that is largely unaware of what God has for you, who you are, what he wants for you, how you were designed and, and, and put together to find your joy and his purposes for you. But like we see in here, here in Luke 1, when God's will in the world is the focus of your family and the center of your relationships, you will begin to see yourself accurately enough to do what God's called and equipped you to do. You see, one of the key functions of the family of God, defined by Jesus as those who do God's will, one of the key functions of the family of God is to confirm his call for mission. It is this ongoing and meaningful interaction within God's people that makes clear to us how God's gifted us and what he wants for us. Don't be so sure. Don't be so sure you know by yourself until you have godly people around you with a higher priority on kingdom mission than being liked by you so that they can speak into your life. I think this has tentacles beyond what we think it does. We have a saying around here that I think applies here. Uh, We say this uh, on staff some. We say it in, uh, in, in Regeneration on Monday nights. And I think this applies here. We don't know who we are We don't know what we're called to do until godly people around us tell us. I know for a number of us that's like, uh, pretty sure I know. Uh." We don't know who we are and what we're called to do until godly people around us tell us. We think we know who we are, what we're like to what we're called, how we're gifted, how we come across to others, etc. We think we know all that without real feedback from anybody else, thank you very much. And we think we can know ourselves well without the feedback of others. But think about this, the only person on the planet who does not experience you as every other single person on the planet experiences you is you. Scripture goes to pains to say we are self-deceived. Our tendency is flesh. Our sinful nature is self. The only person on the planet who doesn't experience you as everybody else on the planet experiences you is you. You are not likely (laughs) the most reliable judge of your own character. So if you're paying attention And you're with godly people and you have deep and open and vulnerable relationships with them. People who are godly around you are sending you signals all the time if you're willing to listen. I just want to suggest that you you, you don't turn off those relationships. Don't mute those signals. Listen to godly people around you because their interaction with you can be nothing, nothing less than God speaking into your life if you will hear it. Let's pray, friends. Father, we ask for the courage and strength to lean into relationships with godly people around us by leading with vulnerability and openness that make it clear that uh, we have given permission to others around us to speak into our lives Father we thank you that uh, the same spirit that spoke through Elizabeth to Mary is the spirit that we can have available to us and we ask Lord um, that you would use that spirit to teach us and to form us and to shape us uh, so that we would be uh, a body of believers shaped after your will so that your purposes would be foremost and we would be continually shaped into who you've called us to be We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus.